Welcome to the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. So put that spreadsheet away, grab a beverage, and enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, Justin Lane. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome to the show today the founder and CEO of Forma AI, Nabil Alizam. Nabil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Justin. I'm glad to be on. Looking forward to the conversation today. Nabil, for the folks in the audience that aren't familiar with Forma AI, can you tell us a little bit about the company and, and why did you start it? I believe that there is a better way to motivate and drive a sales team. And ultimately, at Forma, we are enabling organizations to leverage the data that they have and that's available to them to produce a more dynamic, real-time, and individualized way to motivate and drive behaviors within their sales organization. And you know what I what I saw in my past life. I, I used to be a major consultant. In fact, I mean, obviously, this is where you and I, where we, you and I, had the pleasure of meeting at ZS Associates. And what I saw there was this very stagnant and old way of, of doing things in the world of sales comp. You know, the way I describe it is, I don't know how much has actually changed in the way that comp plans are designed today and rolled out to sales teams compared to 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet every other part of the world that we live in has become more dynamic. The way that marketing campaigns are rolled out are tailored and individualized. The way that we are incentivized through loyalty programs, the way that we shop the way that our, you know, that businesses target and reach out to the individualized consumer. And yet we treat salespeople as a one size fits all. We look at our phones every day. We, we dive into the applications. We get personalized news feeds. These businesses wouldn't exist if they didn't have a personalized news feed that tailored to you. And yet we look at our sales team and again, we say one size fits all, one approach. And so I started Forma to, to enable organizations to be more dynamic and drive a better outcome from their sales force. Yeah, that's really interesting because I've thought about this idea of mass personalization at scale a lot over the years. And, you know, I think about, you know, I can go on Amazon and find an article of clothing, pick the color I like, pick the size I like, and then have it delivered, you know, within a day or two type of thing. When you're thinking about this in the context of a sales rep or a sales compensation plan, are you talking more about the plan itself, the communication to the rep, or maybe a set of reporting to the rep, or or all of the above? I think it's all above within reason. So when I say individualized, when I say dynamic and tailored, you know, let's start with the design of the incentive. Okay. So the point isn't to create you know, unnecessary complexity and have an individualized plan for each rep. It's that when we're thinking about the design of the optimal incentive structure for that organization, for that sales team, you're doing the analysis at the level of data that you have, which should be at the individual. And maybe when you optimize and actually look at the data and analyze it, you, the outcome is, look, here are the structure of plans as a, as a base plan that, that can actually apply and work for everybody but it's designed and optimized based off of the individual data. But maybe in some cases, it needs to be tailored and individualized based off the rep profile, right? Like, I mean, the reps that are selling in the middle of Nebraska may have a very different profile, may have a very different task, customer journey and buying journey than the reps that are in the middle of Manhattan, selling to a very different customer profile, selling to different individuals, running a different sales cycle at a different pace. And so the premise in the design phase is, 
leverage the data. We're, we're ignoring. We literally analyze and design comp plans today without factoring all of the data that exists at that individual level. Okay, you design your plan, whether it's individualized or optimized with individualized data. The second step is, how do I communicate and get my sales team to understand it? And this part, again, we treat as a one-size-fits-all. We roll out and deploy a plan, one set of training that's meant to apply to everybody. Well, yeah. I can tell you right now, when you look at the world of sales, there are very many, there's a lot of different profiles of, of successful sales professionals. The top 15% of reps across the globe in their respective industry do not look the same in all cases. They have some commonalities. And you know, one of the commonalities that we've typically seen, and I've heard firsthand from reps that you know, these top 5% of performers is the beginning of the year when they get that comp plan, they're looking at their account plan and they're trying to optimize for what behavior do they need to do? What do they need to sell into specific accounts to maximize their earnings? And so the goal of individualized communication and factoring the profile of the rep that we're, that we're trying to motivate is how do I get each rep, not just the top 5%, how do I get each rep to take their comp plan and understand it in a way that they're able to translate it to best next steps or best actions that they can take within their territory and their account plan? And then the final piece, when I think about kind of the constant, the continual and ongoing nudging, whether through that's dashboarding or reporting, it's how do I give them real-time feedback on what needs to happen? And reps behave very differently. Right? You, you see some sales profiles where it's the last two weeks of the quarter that they, they bring in 90% of the deals that they bring. And then you have other reps that have this kind of consistent structured approach. And these, these timeline deadlines don't matter to them as much because they're thinking about the bigger picture of their overall annual target. These individuals and these profiles need different nudges and different indicators of performance throughout the throughout the year to get them to be motivated. And so, you know, I think it, you know it's all above uh, to some extent. Yeah, as you describe like the communication and rollout, the one size fits all. Two thoughts came to mind. The first one was we should probably be applying some sort of learning theory to that communication rollout. As you know, my first thought was people have a preferred method of learning or understanding. Some people like video. Some people like the written word. Some people need a combination of both or they need to, you know, experience it before they really understand it type of thing. But I wonder if people are thinking about the different learning modalities that, that people have. And I think the second thing that came to mind is I wonder if there is a correlation. I think you said that there seems to be of what is that reaction to a new plan? And what is the action that the rep takes where top performers, from what you said, will go try to find a way to maximize their earnings. I wonder if the, the middle or bottom performers, you know, have a different first thought, first reaction to the plan. And is there a way to preempt that in some way and get them to think about the plan more like the top performers? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think there's an element of most reps will tell you that they're, they're going to try to maximize their earnings. But it's these actions and, and the steps and, and how articulate, you know, I've seen some Excel workbooks from some of these top performers where, you know, they're pulling all kinds of data from, from their CRM and building in different scenarios of what if I, you know, if I close the revenue in this proportion across these six products within this customer, what does that mean to my earnings? And they're literally optimizing at that level. Now, that's an outlier, right? Not every rep is going to do that. But if we can take that, and make it so that every rep is looking at their territory in a way where you know they're they're optimizing and they're they're approaching the sales within their business in a strategic fashion 
it's just going to help them better prioritize their time. Because at the end of the day, that's that's ultimately it, right? And, and any seller within your organization, how much, you know, where are they spending their resources and, where, and their resources being time? And you can help them understand what's the most valuable to the business, which in theory, your comp plan should do, right? I mean, you, you and I have talked about this in the past. Like the ideal state is that you design a comp plan where when it's gained for maximum outcome for the rep, it actually drives the right behavior. And if you're setting, you know, you're setting this strategy for your sales team, one of the biggest levers of getting to that business strategy is making sure that when you incentivize them, the outcome of that incentive is they get to the right, the right business, like the, the outcome that we want for the business. And so if I can get them to take that translate it to what they need to do to maximize their earnings. If I've designed the plan well, it aligns perfectly with what I need from my sales team. So, Yeah. I love the, the image you paint of a, a sales rep out there building a MBA capstone statistics project in Excel to, to monitor his comp. I'm like, maybe they might be in the wrong job. Maybe we need them on the, the data analytics side of the, of the house versus sales. But uh, I agree. I've, see, I've seen these these sheets and uh, you know the good and the bad is that oftentimes they they may not match up you know with the same process that the comp admin team is going through to calculate payment results, and then it's a reconciliation process between the team that's officially doing it and the rep who is uh, you know doing it as a side gig, uh, trying to make sure they got paid correctly. It's interesting, yeah. There's I've seen a case where a, you know again very strong performing rep kind of like think about like. President's Club, top of the President's Club on an annual basis, did this model, you know, took this approach, just taking this approach every year. They rolled out a new comp plan, didn't understand the nuances, the mechanics of the plan, didn't make as much money as he thought he would. And then it just created this really negative interaction. I mean, this is a top performer that's taking a strategic approach to their business. You want to keep people like that around. You want to make sure that there's, you know, positive engagement. So going back to the training, you know, how do you how do you train certain people? And, it, and it's not the same for everyone, right? Is there an example, or do you need to provide a way to kind of run through their plan and action and, and action it? You know, back to the training. One, one thing I will say, and this is something that, that I, I you see quite a bit. No one likes to talk about comp, right? People shy away from talking about about compensation in general because it's not it's not an easy dialogue to have for most people. And so, what happens when you roll out sales compensation? You roll out the plan at the beginning of the year. The managers try to get it done as fast as possible. They don't want to talk about quotas. They don't want to talk about sales comp plans. They roll it out. And then no one wants to bring up that awkward conversation. And so I've seen, you know, we've rolled out surveys. I've worked at, you know, with both in the past when I you know, engaged with reps in the, my consulting days, as, as well as, you know, at Foremind. And what we've seen is there's been cases where, you know, we're in the middle of an implementation. So we're onboarding a customer to our platform. We're, we're interviewing their sales reps. And the, you ask the manager how many of their, you know, how confident they are that their reps understand their plan. And then you talk to the reps and find out how many actually understand their plan. It's a massive gap. You know, th- these are reps that are asking questions about their plan three quarters into the year. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand your comp plan, how are you actually driven and motivated to drive the right outcome for the business? You're not. You know, uh, yeah, I've always said people are just going to do what they're good at or what's easy. And the pay is disconnected as opposed to being a driver of behavior. And yeah, I think I've seen survey data. There was a company, I want to say it was CSO Insights or it might have been the CEB, but they did a survey one time and and it was somewhere in the low 30s, let's say 33% of reps raised their hands and said, I don't understand how I'm supposed to get paid. 
And that was just fascinating to me when I saw that. I'm like, you know, it's one of those statistics where you're like, that can't be true. And then as you talk to, and then as you talk to people and you talk certainly to comp admin teams that feel disputes throughout the year, they're like, oh, that's true. You know, people are asking or have a misunderstanding of how they're actually getting paid. Like you said, into Q3, you know, the plan year, they still don't get it. Let's just jump back a little bit. So you made this point where you feel like maybe companies, like the process of comp plan design hasn't really changed a lot in maybe 40 years. And so you started a software company to address this problem. Like what, what was that? Talk me through this thought process. It's interesting because you see things early in your career and you, you know, sometimes you, 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 you see things that don't make sense, but you think this is kind of the status quo and you're, you're waiting to learn more. And so, you know, I remember even some of my first projects that I did when I was at ZS, where, you know, first and foremost, the people that are designing the plan, like the tools, the people, the teams involved in the design process are not the same as the tools and the people and the teams involved in the execution process. There may be slight overlap, but they're completely disconnected. Yeah, it's completely disconnected. And so we would do this design process. And I remember being in a meeting where, you know, we're about to roll out a plan to the ops and comp team as a part of our strategy. And someone puts up their hand and says, we can't actually calculate that plan because that metric doesn't exist. It's going to take us over six months to bring it in. This is, a, that, I mean, again, you're early in your career, you hear these things and you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe this is the way that business operates. But it didn't feel right. And it felt wrong that we were, you know, why were we stuck in this old process? And then you see it time and time again, it's happening in every business. At first, maybe it's a one-off occurrence. Okay, it's this business. They're not very sophisticated. But in reality, the, this is this is the lay of land. Design, like planning and execution are completely disjointed today. The second part is that every part Every platform in this space, you know, having experience implementing or being on the implementation side of this process, every platform is effectively this toolkit to help you solve the calculation of the actual payout. But I need to solve it for my business. And so I basically architect and I design the data pipelines based off of my needs as a customer. But every one of these instances is isolated. It's done in siloed fashion. In fact, I've worked with some organizations where different divisions within that company have this implementation of the same software, but it's different instances. And you have two teams in different parts of the organization or different geos, maybe different business units that are basically building rules where yes, okay, in aggregate, there are different business rules and different data, et cetera. But at a, at a more granular level, you realize there's a lot of similarity in what you're doing and you couldn't copy paste from one instance to another in a streamlined way that was that was efficient and, 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 and enabled you to actually not replicate if work. And so, you know, I left consulting thinking about this and being like, well, why can't we use the tools that we pay to do the strategic planning? And ultimately, it's because of this siloed and very repetitive and, and rigid nature to the, the way that we think about payouts, where if it takes you weeks to configure a plan and you need a new instance to configure a test, you know, a test case every single time, you're not going to set up 10 sandbox instances of these platforms and then configure 10 different plans that you're modeling to financially figure out which one you want to go with. It would take you months and months to do that. And so what, what do you do? You keep design over here and you model it based off estimates and you're doing it in Excel to create your, your ideal plan. And so I left actually thinking that I wasn't, I left consulting, I wanted to go into tech. And that's when I, you know, I got reached out to by a customer I'd work with in the past and help them implement one of these platforms. And so 
when they reached out asking for help because they were having issues and, and, and problems with the calculations. Again, business upstream data change, upstream business rule change caused havoc on their day, on their implementation. And so all of a sudden, you know, bring back the person who helped us implement it because he knows the architecture of how we design this. And so come back in, help them re-architect, get, get it set up, get their teams, you know, ready to, to go again. And then a year later, lo and behold, same issue. They need help again. And that was when I, you know, I had the opportunity of, of pitching this idea of bringing strategy and execution together and ultimately removing the repetitiveness and the manual nature of building rules and ultimately commoditizing the rule building by taking the business context of the plan design and translating it automatically to the underlying rules. And so the, you know, this element of, you know, why did I start a software company? Well, I started a software company to solve this problem. I think there's a massive gap in the market. I lived and breathed being in that role as a sales company and sales company, you know, implementation partner. And I saw how painful it was for my customers. You know, one of the most defeating things was we we'd go through an implementation. And at the, you know, at the time back in, you know, between, you know, in 2012, 2013, the ICM players were just kind of getting out of the woodworks, like, you know, for, for, for the most part, like exactly was less than a 10 year old company at the time. And so, you know, in my mind, every one of these projects was mostly greenfield. They were trying to implement these, you know, these, these new platforms that were supposed to solve this problem. And you had these comp teams that you got very close with. You get very close to these people during an implementation project because it's long hours, hard work. And so the excitement of these implementations and everyone's super excited for this future state of comp, and then the rollout happens and it's a complete letdown. And I saw that too many times, yeah, too many times and too many failures to, to not want to solve this problem. So I really saw, you know, I built this, started and built this company because I felt the pain so harshly myself. Yeah. I think you were on different projects than, than I was on because mine were miserable. The excitement had died somewhere early in the project. <laughs> early in the project, yeah. Now, you touched on something that, again, near and dear to my heart when I was more on the implementation, uh, involved with implementations. But this idea that every implementation, we just started from scratch. And that drove me crazy of, you know, you had solved the puzzle before, but you couldn't leverage that you know, on, on a new account. And then when you came in to somebody who had already implemented something, it took time to try to figure out what somebody else had done because there was, you know, there's 10 ways of solving the problem within the solution. And, you know, a lot of times people aren't thinking about efficiency or ability to maintain, like when they're configuring these systems, they're just thinking about how do I get the right answer quickly and brute force a solution, you know, type of thing. And so you'd have to go unwind what other, somebody else had done. But those were two things that really stuck out as I saw from platform to platform, very similar experience of start from scratch and, uh, you know, try to figure out what other people had done that probably uh, wasn't very good. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's an element of what is it, you know, the old adage or the old saying, like, if you ask, if you ask someone, if, you ask, if, if Ford had asked, the, you know, the customer, what they wanted, they would have wanted a faster horse. What they really needed oh, was a car. I, I was thinking about a different Ford quote where he said, hey, they can have it any color they want as long as it's black. Yes. That's, yeah. yeah, that is true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is a right, yeah. In, in, in that case, you know, the right way was just to kind of keep the process as simple as possible to, to get the execution. But in my mind, I think, you know, we've approached this and you're starting to see, I think, this next generation of similar type of platforms. And effectively, it's it's 
these toolkits. Hey, it's a spreadsheet in the cloud, or it's a simplified way to, to build. Here's, here's a, the next generation of the exactly these Verisense and, and Calidus's. Yeah. But in reality, it's still a toolkit where you're right. Every time you implement these things, it's starting from scratch. And the, you know, I think by the nature of what we're used to, what we're used to, to using and what we're used to doing, it's hard to change, right? It takes a lot to kind of make that, that, that shift to say, okay, my, you know, my, no longer am I going to encode this formula every single time. I'm actually going to leverage this pre-built building block. And so now if I, if I, if, if I, if it takes me significantly shorter to execute on a plan design or plan build, because I'm no longer having to do that, right? That's just done through Forma. What, you know, what does my role look like? And I think that, you know, we, that, that question is that now that that changed the comp admin and that comp team. Well, I mean, how, I, you know, I asked the comp, I asked comp, like teams that we, we work with, you know, before the implementation, I've, you know, I've asked this question. It's like, how many comp teams have this list? I've seen it firsthand. It's a massive list of things that they want to do to improve the process, to make their compensation process better. These, this list of enhancements and like to do's that keeps on building up every single month. Mm-hmm. And yet, when do, when do they get a chance to work on it? Well, the last week of the month, you're preparing for the, the beginning of the month and accruals and payroll. The first week, you're actually doing the work. The third, the second week, you're preparing, you know, you're, you're catching up with anything that came over or anything that stretched the deadline. And then you get a third week of the month where maybe you can breathe if there has not been any emergencies or any blowups. And by that time, you know, I was talking to a comp, comp team and I actually asked them this. And the feedback I got was, oh, by that time, you know, we actually, we take time off because we've been working like 90 hours a week for the last three weeks. And so when do you get a chance to actually elevate the organization's sales comp process? It's very difficult. It's a thankless role, right? And and no one, and I think that's, it goes back to kind of the shift of if we stop having to build from scratch every single time, it actually finally enables the comp team to push things forward and move the organization in the direction that they, that they, that they want. Yeah. We just, something very similar. We did a round table yesterday. And one of the participants, it was kind of in this mode of they had implemented and things were running smooth. And I, I'd used the term, you know, the automation of generic repeatable tasks. And that got eyebrows raised up. And he's like, yes, yeah. He goes, the stuff that my folks used to work on, they don't have to do again and again and again. And so I said, well, what are they working on now? And it was an interesting mix of thinking, they were thinking about and working with their uh, business partners and stakeholders and in, in sales to figure out what sort of reporting and analytics they want to do. They're thinking about how to to measure the effectiveness of the comp plan. And again, higher order stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what's the stress level like now versus when they were stuck in this world of doing, you know, these same manual tasks and very limited tools again and again and again. And it was just a chuckle and the classic, you know, night and day. And I'm like, okay, good. You know, it feels good to hear these stories of, you know, you're not, because again, I think like you're kind of getting to this idea of this, maybe a misconception almost that automation takes away jobs. So I'm like, no, automation changes lives. And in this case, in a positive fashion, right? For their, they have a better job than they had before, you know, more satisfying, more rewarding, less stress. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think if you actually think about humans, by nature, right? Like if you think about the, the, the world that we live in, 
we all want to be doing something that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. And in this globalized world, if you're not doing something meaningful in your current job, there are a bunch of other companies like globally that you can work with to do something meaningful. And I think what's what you know the the, the interesting thing last time I saw I think the average tenure of a sales comp admin was less than a year and a half, and it was you know like a sales comp team member that did not surprise me because what I saw what you know when you think about this these are t- technically sophisticated people they come in yeah they t- they understand the business because they're talking to senior stakeholders they come in they see the data they're looking at this and they're what they're basically you know they have these ideas to make it better. But they're caught up doing the same thing day and day and day and day over and over and over again. It's like you can't that that's not a way to really empower and, and enable these 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 smart individuals. And so, you know, in my mind, as, as humans, we want to be creative and we want to be making decisions. Yeah. Repetitive the repetitive work is not what feels meaningful to us. How not to I say wanna, that it's not anything. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna share with that statistic what is fascinating to me is that I know a lot of people that have been in the industry 15, 20 years doing sales comp admin. And so that, you know, when you say less than a year, I'm like, man, it's it, a year and a half. Okay, I go, it's really shorter than that because there's some outliers to the other side. There's no middle. And I've always, the people that I've talked to that have been doing it for 15, 20 years, these are folks that could have been air traffic controllers, uh, school bus drivers, right? People that are just unfazed by chaos. And I've always said it's one of the most thankless jobs like in business because very rarely, and I, I, I've asked many comp admin this, you know, tongue in cheek uh, to get a, a gauge of how broken their process and tools are to say, hey, when was the last time somebody called you, you know, picked up the phone, called you or sent you a note saying, thank you for paying me correctly? And they're like, they're always like, what? In this, I'm like, you know, versus ob- obviously what happens is how many times has somebody picked up the phone or sent them a note to complain or yell that they've been paid incorrectly, which is the most common thing. They don't, it's a thankless job. And they are, they have had limited, limited tools to help support that business process. And kudos to the folks who have stuck with it. They're a different breed. And yeah, empathy for these folks that come into it. Like you said, bright eyed, plenty of ideas. But uh, you know, bang their head against the wall until they probably figure out something else to do uh, within their organization or elsewhere. I mean, I mean, again, this goes back to like why I started the company. I lived that. You know, I would yeah. go back in work, you know, work with these customers, and in this particular case, with the customer that I had implemented, and going back in and fixing the process. There's no thanks when you get it right. There's only noise, and it's mm-hmm. massive noise if you get it if you get it wrong, right? And and I think there's an element of uh, to some extent, you know, I've asked, I've asked team members that joined joined Forma this very question, so that I can highlight it for them. And I say, have has anyone here, like some of the new joiners that joined the team, and, and I have a chance to talk to them? It's like, has anyone here ever reached out in their past role and thanked their payroll team? Nope. Has anyone here had a payroll issue? Yep. That's when I talk to payroll. And I think it's the same extent with sales comp. The difference is the number of times that payroll changes. Maybe you get a salary bump. Maybe you get a new role. Maybe you get benefit changes. What? A few times a year? Yeah. Every month on a variable incentive plan, there are hundreds, if not thousands of business rules that need to be applied to get that number accurate. And it's complicated. The sales comp team is deal. They're in the middle. They, they play this middle, this, this middle role where they have to deal with data issues upstream. 
they have to deal with data issues from the business, right? So if their systems are not generating the right data, it's a problem. And if they don't get the right business logic, a territory change, an override, whatever from the business, it's a problem. And you're right, it's a completely thankless, thankless role. And, and, and so the more that you can build automation around it and elevate them to, to build a more strategic way to execute and operate, the better it can be. Yeah. Let's shift a little bit. So what is the future of sales compensation look like if somebody could have a platform, access to the data, a nice clean process? What does the future look like? So when you bring strategy and execution together, that's kind of the first piece, right? We need to, we, like okay. the planning and execution need to be con- fully connected. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll kind of give an example. If today a component of your plan is you had AEs that focused on enterprise versus AEs that focused on mid-market. The CRO were to ask the question, what if I shifted my enterprise threshold from 1,500 employees to 2,000 employees? Okay, so an uh, easy segmentation question of we're going to... Easy segmentation question, right? right? Okay, what, I just want to shift one variable. Today, for them to model out the financial impact of the business, the potential risks, the winners and losers on the sales team, to better understand how to deploy that, I actually think that would take weeks to months of analysis today. Yeah, not easy. Not easy. But an obvious, but I'm saying an easy question to come up with, what if, but no capability to, to figure out what it means. Yeah. And so right away, if we are limiting ourselves to the number of what if questions that we can ask, because the, connect, the, the planning and execution side are completely disconnected, as a CRO, I have to be, think very, very clearly about what my hypotheses have to be very right. I have to have a lot of confidence in my hypothesis of what those scenarios that I want to test on, because I only have so many resources to do that. So the first step is if you connect planning and execution, you enable those what if scenarios to be tested in an automated way. What if that threshold, that segmentation threshold changes right away, all of the downstream variables get updated, the crediting logic for the comp plan, the quotas, the quota setting, right? So if it's fully connected, the quota setting approach that's built up off of the accounts and the potential in the territory is based off of the segmentation that is covered in that territory. And so right away, that gets updated. Then you run a commission model based off of these updated rule sets. And now you can generate a financial impact. Then you compare against the previous scenario, determine the winners and losers and the potential risks to the business. Why can't you have that be completely run in automated fashion? So that's the first phase one of going to this future that we're building towards is a Businesses need to have a platform and in a way to kind of connect planning and execution and execute on that. Once you do that, now it opens a second stage, which is I can now start to do my analysis and my strategy building, not just in an aggregate and a one size fits all way. Now I can start modeling based off the data at the individual level. And so if you think about today, it's already so complicated to do this, these what if scenarios and, and these planning cycles. I, I only can do a few. So I, to, I either do them in a lot of detail and only do one or two, or I, you know, I, I take estimates and I can maybe do six or seven a year. So, but now that we've automated that process, now I can start bringing other data, right? Behavior of the rep at the individual level. How does one rep sell versus another? We talked, you know, we talked earlier about this concept of the rep that sells in the last two weeks of the quarter versus the rep that's consistent. What about the reps that, you know, that engage and talk to customers on a on a certain cadence versus others? What about the reps that, you know, are more likely to be on, on, you know, kind of outbound on phone versus by email? All these different parameters, these different behaviors that feed into our analysis of understanding the rep's profile. 
that then feed into our ability to understand the incentive connected to the profile. And so now we can start building plans based off all the data that we're collecting and understanding about our sales team. And so now we're individualizing our comp plans, whether it's actually creating individual plans or just leveraging that data to create the optimal plan structure for that team. The final phase is actually being proactive. And if I really think, again, let's take a 10-year out picture. Think about where we were 10 years ago. The iPhone had just barely made it into the hands you know, of the early adopters. And you know, if I think about 10 years ago to where we are today, if I think about 20 years ago, let, you know, we, if we fast forward, why is it that a rep wakes up today? Like, or frankly, why is it that a rep wakes up 10 years from now and is not in real time told what their incentives are based off of that moment, based off of that current situation? And so in a future view, I wake up as a sales rep that day based off the market dynamics, based off of the what's happening in the, in the business, the priorities at a customer or product level, my compensation, my structure is tailored to that individual moment. Now, I want to, pay, I want to be very clear on this. It sounds crazy, right? Like Matt, every day my comp plan changes. That doesn't sound fun. Well, I'm not suggesting it changes every day, but it also doesn't sound fun when the COVID lockdowns happened. And if all of a sudden you're a rep that's impacted by that to wait six to eight to 12 weeks for my business to respond with an updated call plan to tell me how I'm going to hit my livelihood, that's also not fun either. And so the point is, is it's, it's so dynamic that it is real time. I mean, I think about, I think about the, you know, the element of, uh, think about the FX rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Strong dollar this year. Yeah. Strong dollar this year, right? And, and it's and it's dynamic. It's based on every day it changes. Actually, the volatility of the FX this past year has been crazy. We, you know, it kind of and being on the Canadian side, it means it means a great deal because there's a lot of business, you know, the trade that we do with the U.S. And so this is something I think you look at more than I do. Uh, I, I, I do. The, it's a, the it's other a, end of it, yeah. On the other end of it, right? And so you know, I've seen that the, the U.S. to Canadian dollar go from 1.39 back down to 1.33 and went back up to 1.38 in the matter of like a week and a half, and like. Sometimes within a day, it's a massive volatility. And so, but I ha you have to ask yourself, why is it that it's that, that dynamic? It's because information flow has accelerated over the last 50 years to a level where, it, of course, it's going to be this dynamic. And, and it's real time and everyone has visibility and I can make decisions based off that. So why is it that I wake up as a sales rep and the world does not look today the same as it did look? Like the way it looked in Jan 1st when I got my plan, or I should have got my plan, does not look the same as today. And so why is it that my comp plan isn't changing and isn't dynamic based off the nature? And I'll give you two reasons for that. The reason why it doesn't change today and everyone's adverse to change is because educating the rep on what the, what the plan means is very difficult to do in today's world. Talk about the training, right? People understand incentives in very different ways. And so if you don't get them to understand it, it's a problem because it's their livelihood. So what, what do people do? This adage of like, keep plans simple. By the way, I agree with keeping plans simple, mm -hmm. but the actual important part of that is not keeping plans simple. It's keeping plans or making plans so that they can be understood. And sometimes it doesn't need to be simple for it to be well understood. It just means that you need to really focus on education and training. And we see this with some of our customers where there's certain dynamics in the business where they have to have slightly more you know, nuanced or complex aspects of their plan. And if you're going to do that, then you need to make sure you, you invest you know, two to three X as much as you're going to invest in the training and onboarding of that plan. But in the future, if we can, if we can get the reps to understand what that incentive means in real time, then 
the dynamic nature of the plan no longer becomes a problem as long as it's fair, equitable, and designed to pay for performance. Because frankly, as a leader or sales leader in an organization, you shouldn't care if your bottom performers are upset by the plan. Yeah. If you don't perform, yeah. you should get out of the business. I mean, it is a pay for performance. That's what variable compensation for sales reps is. It's pay for performance. And it's actually unfair. You know, you say this all the time, and I, and I, and I quote you on this. It's this reverse Robin Hood. I love, you know, that reverse Robin Hood is, is exactly the nature of way, the way sales comp should be. Steal from the poor to pay for the rich, right? And then, and there's this element of the dynamic nature of comp should be done at an individual level. And, you know, is it 10 years out? Is it 15? Is it 20 years out? I mean, you know, I, I think it's closer to 10 years because every other part of our, of our world lives this way. I wake up, like I said, my news feed and whatever platform I use is different. It's tailored to me. My loyalty yeah. programs are tailored to me. The way that I engage with, with the entire world is tailored to me and my profile and how I digest data information. And yet we're still treating salespeople like it's the, you know, the, the early days of the information technology revolution. Yeah, as you describe that, I think there's a this interesting intersection, right? I see different tools where people, you know, have listening tools, like where they're looking for, you know, news about one of their companies that are in their territory, or if, uh, you know, a person changed jobs, you know, scraping from LinkedIn uh, type of thing. And, you know, kind of back to this idea of, in the, in the short term, you know, can we help inform people where their greatest opportunities to go make money or where they have money at risk even because, you know, they're the person they identified as their economic buyer or champion within an organization left. And so if they want to save the money they were going to make on that account, they better uh, pick up the phone and and replace that uh, that champion with somebody new in a quick, in a pretty quick fashion. But again, you know, the, I've, I've thought about, there was a, a Nobel Prize given out between this idea of, you know, the wants and needs of an organization and the wants and needs of a person and what ties those two things together are incentives. And, you know, how do you, how do you take advantage of that to the benefit of both parties? And, you know, I think that yeah, there's a long ways to go of how technology enables that process, whether it's the how, you know, the motivation of how much, you know, I think people are, but again, you know, people are at all different levels of maturity kind of down that curve. And I think that the vast majority of companies are still kind of stuck in this idea of, hey, we just want to pay people right, you know, on time type of thing. They're at ground zero of, of sales performance management because they have had, again, disconnected processes, poor tools to help enable the planning and execution process and uh, teams that don't talk to each other. And yeah, they're stuck. You know, it is behind the curve to what I see a lot of other areas in business. I mean, it's, and I'll go back to, I think one of the biggest instigators and the drivers of that. It's the fact that we do it in a siloed fashion. If you think about the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's, the Starbucks loyalty programs of the world, right? Why are they able to, I mean, again, or look, look at something like TikTok. There's an, like that algorithm and, and the ability to capture the attention of, of those individuals. They're doing it for the entire collective, right? That is their business and they're focusing nothing but figuring out what incentivizes and retains that, that you know, capturing that, that user's time or, or that audience. And that's not a small problem to solve. It's a massive, complicated problem. And for businesses to try to solve 
what's the best way for us to optimize and understand how, you know, how, to, how to create the perfect incentive plan for our sales team? It is not just a siloed, you know, every business can't become the best at doing this, which is where, again, the future of, and the reason why we architected Forma in the way that we did. It's my vision that we should learn from everyone's, across the entire globe of every customer, how incentives are tied to behavior and how for this rep profile, this incentive is projected to drive X behavior out. And so by leveraging the learnings across every single customer, we can actually start to then predictively and proactively make those recommendations. I mean, I, you know, I mentioned this dynamic nature. How do you do that? You need to leverage the data across the collective to do so. And, and you can't, you know, you can't have every company in the world try to solve this on their own. It's not, it's not their go-to-market, you know, the Facebooks of the world, the LinkedIn's of the world, that is their core business. If they don't capture attention from their audience, there is no business. Yeah. So Nabil, one more idea that I wanted to bring up over a from a conversation we had once. And then two questions I like to ask every every guest on the show. But the idea is for a founder, for a CEO of a software company, how important do you believe it to be for that person to have some experience, domain expertise in the space uh, of what they're trying to do, how they're trying to help their clients and customers? So, I mean, the, the simple answer in sales conversation, I think it's highly important, but I want to give the framework of why, why I think that is. So if you're solving a, if you're solving a, a, a simpler problem, and I, and I want to classify because like, is there ever a simple problem? You know, if you can take any problem and, and make it extremely complex and unpack all of the aspects to it. But, and I want to caveat all of this with the fact that every CEO and founder should become an expert in their space. And if they're not close enough to the problem, I don't think they're actually solving the problem. And so there's, you know, there are some businesses that are basically making use of an arbitrage opportunity. There are businesses that are making use of a, you know, kind of a, a demand that is, you know, articulated in a way that's a kind of a lower level order complexity, right? There's a very clear demand of, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and that's what you're tackling. But in those businesses that are making use of an arbitrage opportunity or, or something like that, the actual problem is how do I tackle the, the execution, the go to market execution of this? not necessarily the actual problem that they're solving. So they need to be really good at that, have, have prior experience there, I think, in order to be able to, be able to ex excel at this problem better than others. When you're solving a very complicated problem, and I think, you know, when I say a complex problem like sales comp, where it's been attempted many times over with a very similar outcome through every generation of the solution, sometimes, you don't need to have expertise in sales in the sales compensation or, or in that space, but you take a radically different approach and it's so radically different that it actually that it actually works. And I think you, you know you can see this in some other industries where sometimes a, a product that completely revolutionized. Like if I think about uh, how enterprises in the 1980s and the 1990s captured and managed their filing system, the founders, the early founders of data, you know, data platforms like, you know, or data management platforms like the Dropbox of the world probably didn't have the full experience of how they manage file, you know, files and folders. I'm not, and, and, you know, not, I'm not using the best analogy here, but there's an element of, you know, in some cases you take a radically different approach to take a shortcut to the problem, to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. But in, in a situation where, you know, I think I look at sales compensation, we have this radically different vision of how it's going to operate, but you can't 
ignore all the complexities of the current state of how enterprises manage and execute on it. And without that experience, it's very easy to think you can shortcut and take a step and miss all of the other observable problems. And so, you know, I take a look at some of the other platforms in the space and I think you, yeah, wow. I think, I, I, yeah, I think I may have gone way over on this, on this. And again, I'm, I'm being overcomplicated. I'm overcomplicating this one. Yeah, and I think there's something to the idea, though, of, of bringing a radical, transformative approach, as well as deep domain expertise that probably leads to the best outcome, ultimately, for the clients or the company, as opposed to, you know, either some, some companies have neither, some companies have one. I think you've built a company where Forma has both. I think there's an element of the ability to kind of have that radical vision of the future, but a way to step step the customers through that journey, especially in sales comp, you need, I think, yeah, having that, that deep domain experience and having seen it yourself and solved the problem yourself, I think is quite critical. All right. Two final questions. First one, who in the world of sales comp would you most like to take to lunch? This is a hard one. You know, part of me feels like saying, you know, it actually wouldn't necessarily be someone in the, in the world of sales comp, mm-hmm. someone in the world of, you know, kind of a an academic or researcher in the world of behavioral economics and kind of understanding or, or the behavioral psychology of of incentives. You know, but at the same time, I think this could be a good opportunity to kind of talk to, you know, talk to someone in the world of sales comp that is like extremely, you know, extremely experienced and, and has seen a lot. So I don't know if you have any, like, is there, I guess, yeah, I'm just, I don't know, is there any, like, do you have a suggestion? No, I think that what you actually answer there uh, is a pretty common answer. I think people that, that have been on the show thinking about who they'd want to take to lunch, they're thinking about that question in a different way, as opposed to maybe you know a thought leader in the specific domain space. People have answered this idea of you know trying to you know a book author around behavioral uh, economics or psychology, you know of how people think. And, and it's interesting because the, as I talk to more people on the show, I'm starting to see this really interesting intersection uh, of different backgrounds where some people are bringing an arts background right to it. Uh, your college education is in engineering, correct? Right. So bringing engineering background to the table, you know, and, and so I think people, you know, there's all these very interesting fungible skills that people are bringing to the table. But I think this next, you know, hurdle or next thing that a lot of folks are thinking about is how do people think and and how can we apply that, you know, into sales compensation? All right. Last question. As evidence from what's behind me, I like to read. Always looking for a good book recommendation. Could be in the world of business, uh, sales, sales comp, or other interest. Any recommendations on, on something to read next? It's hard because there's so many, there's so many great books. I think, and, and it's very much, it's time. What's what's this? It's also like very time relevant. What are the things that you're kind of encountering in that moment? But a recent, uh, you know, recent book that I read. I typically try to read, you know, fiction and nonfiction in parallel. Kind of keeps uh, creative juices flowing, and then kind of more the the you know introspective and and action based kind of non nonfiction. So I'd say, you know, I recently read uh, Amp It Up by Frank Slootman. I really enjoyed that one. I think just hearing kind of what he was able to do and, and his approach 
to you know to truly taking a very operational focus on on running a business. And then on the fiction side, I've been reading the Three Body Problem uh, trilogy, you know, over the past little bit, and I've, I've really enjoyed really enjoyed those books. I've I've seen this Three Body Problem books at bookstores, whether at the airport or you know the Barnes and Noble. And every time I read the jacket cover, I'm like, this is a book that's going to force me to think. And when I read fiction, sometimes I want a book that's not going to make me think really hard. But uh, it looks like a good series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's you know there's something there's something you said about I think this you know science. You look you read some of you know Isaac Asimov or or Aldous Huxley, and, and you read these books that are older, and you think back and you're like, how amazing you know would it have been to be in those time periods and re- have read those books and seen that that vision of the future and how in some cases how accurate it was yeah and so you know i, I think reading kind of like the, the the science fiction that's being produced in our time and seeing what we're talking about in you know 80 100 you know 200 years out is quite interesting it kind of paints a very different perspective whereas again you read a non-fiction book it's very much a a look at the current state of the world and kind of the more immediate five to 10 years out, typically. All right. Well, Nabil, that brings us to the end of our time together on the Sales Compensation Show. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to have a conversation. And I thoroughly enjoyed it and really appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Likewise, Justin. I really enjoyed the conversation. The Sales Compensation Show was brought to you by Forma AI, the world's most advanced sales compensation solution. To learn more about how Forma AI makes sales comp more valuable to your business, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales compensation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thank you for listening and stay smart out there.